This is Michael, you're listening to Models of Masters, and I'm so grateful you're here. I'm breaking down personal stories, learned wisdom, and pieces of insight I hope can help you along your journey. Head over to my website, michaelbecker.org, for much more. And with that, let's get right into the show. Price and payment terms are the two easiest and quickest levers that you can pull in your business to create more value, both for yourself but also for your clients. And we have to recognize that a big part of how we acquire and retain clients has to do with the perception of the price points and the payment terms that are on offer. And this is where pricing strategy really comes into play. I believe that you can and should optimize your price and payment terms to be maximally beneficial for yourself as the business owner, but also for your clients. You just have to understand what both parties want. You as a business owner, want to get as much cash collected up front as you can. But you also want to be able to accurately predict your monthly and annual revenue. But consumers, on the other hand, are looking at two main things. What's it going to cost me now? But moreover, what am I paying each month? And that's the number they're really going to focus on. Subscription plans work really well from an organizational standpoint because they're simple, predictable, and require very little manual work once set up. Subscription models also provide a low barrier, low commitment entry point for buyers because if they want to drop the service at any time, they can. This pay-as-you-go model can remove a lot of perceived risk from consumers as opposed to paying a one-time upfront sum. To learn more about the intricacies of financial planning and models from a small business perspective, I brought in finance executive, speaker, and thought leader Chris Ortega. In today's episode, you'll get a small dose of a few vitally important subjects related to money and finance in your business. We'll touch on driving revenue, receiving payments, creating cash flow, and using credit. To begin, I asked Chris about the main benefits for an organization using a pay-as-you-go subscription model. We've moved into the subscription economy. One of my favorite books is Subscribed by Tian Tzu where he shared why so many service and software companies are moving to this model versus using a more cumbersome, more risky, more unattractive one and done model. One of the main benefits of a subscription model for businesses is that it keeps a continued value creation stream for organizations that's every single month. Um, For me, I like the best way to think about it is making money while you sleep. And as long as you can continue to deliver that value, continue to deliver that service, um, subscriptions really don't even have a, 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 a exit life. They continue to go on as long as that value is there versus a traditional payment model where a lot of the terms are net 60, net 30s, meaning after the services are performed, then you get paid. You have to keep performing that service. You have to keep delivering this expectation of uh, a value creation and then it's arrears where you're getting paid after the service is completed versus a subscription model uh, a lot of those models are paid up front a lot of them are paid annualized um, it's a very consistent way of tracking revenue and also balancing cash flow so those are two of the biggest advantages of a subscription model for any organization one thing a lot of new business owners tend to confuse is the different words related to making money revenue, cash flow, and cash collected. So let's break them down quickly. I am not a finance person, and sometimes I wish financial people would just simplify this lingo so the rest of us could understand it in more simple verbiage. 
I asked Chris to explain the difference between revenue, cash flow, and cash collected. So revenue, uh, revenue and cash are, are, are different, right? So I think revenue is typically for most businesses governed by revenue is like the amount of value you're getting for a service or product that you're providing, right? So you may be getting, you may be giving somebody uh, access to a, like SaaS solution, right? They get a thousand dollars and they're paying you a thousand dollars a month, right? For uh, that that revenue on that business, right? So for me, revenue and cash in certain businesses correlate, but in certain businesses, they don't. Um, particularly in SaaS, like most SaaS contracts are annualized contracts. So somebody will be paying for your SaaS contract annual in advance. You would only have, you would think like, oh, I just got a whole annual contract on day one. Your revenue and your cash are different because they may pay you on that, uh, that contract day one, but they're still getting the future value of that service over a 12 month. So I, the best way to describe it is revenue is like a value over time. Cash is the money you receive regardless of whatever time you and ways to incentivize customers around that is a lot of times you see a lot of businesses that if they offer multi-year or payment in advance or quarterly terms, they usually provide some sort of discount along with people. The reason why a lot of organizations do that is because it helps accelerate that cash collection. So one of the biggest things you want to do in a business is you want to make sure you're driving in as much cash as possible, but that revenue is going to come over time, right? So like if somebody's getting 12 months of value out of your service or product, you can't recognize that 12 month of value over in one month, but you can get that cash. So really the best place you want is to have the cash up front and the revenue on the tail. So to summarize, revenue is the amount of total money a company earns from the sale of its products and services. Cash flow is the net amount of cash being transferred to a company over a defined period of time, usually described in monthly terms. Revenue provides a measure of the effectiveness of a company's sales and marketing, whereas cash flow is more of a liquidity indicator. Both revenue and cash flow are key figures to help investors and analysts evaluate the financial health and eventually the valuation of a company. Cash collections is the process of collecting on debts owed to your company. This can come from two places, cash sales and collections on accounts receivable. Cash sales refers to the proportion of sales that you make where customers pay you right away rather than on credit. The invoices that customers don't pay right away will be collected on accounts receivable. To calculate your total expected cash collections, you'll add the revenue you anticipate will come from cash sales to the revenue you anticipate will come from accounts receivable. So from your position as a business owner, again, your goal is to collect as much cash as possible upfront, or is it? More and more, along with the move to this low commitment subscription model that empowers buyers to get started without biting off the whole thing before even trying a bite, you can also incentivize prospective clients to sign up by being creative with payment terms too. Net terms are one way to do that. In the most basic sense, net terms are deferred payment terms offered to customers who are looking for extended periods to pay back for their goods and services. Essentially, net terms provide your customer with a grace period before an invoice is due. Some companies may even offer a discount for customers who choose to pay their bill before the term's due date, incentivizing people to pay their invoices ahead of time. When businesses refer to net terms, this usually refers to a period of 30, 60, even sometimes 90 calendar days before the invoice amount is due. You can use this kind of concession, whether you're a SaaS business, a sole proprietor, a coach, or a consultant, or any other industry to show goodwill and give customers a chance to use your tool or product, start making money during the grace period, and hopefully offset or at least help towards that first payment that they owe. 
It's just a creative way of making it easier for people to get started with you prior to any payment being due. Now, one of the most important metrics to understand, whether you're trying to create enough income through your business or investments to offset your expenses so you can quit your job, or you just are trying to estimate your expected earnings for the year for your more established venture, is going to be the metric of MRR, monthly recurring revenue. Now, MRR is your top line total earnings each month. It's a great indicator of your selling power given all variables in place. Once you know what you can make each month, widening your margins now becomes a game of decreasing costs and expenses that are not necessary to maintaining that figure or figuring out how to increase it by toying with other factors like price. I asked Chris why MRR was such a valuable metric in his eyes. So MRR means monthly reoccurring revenue. This back to question one where we talked about the examples of a subscription model. This is that monthly recurring, keep the lights on, making money while you sleep revenue. So typically in most SaaS businesses, this is probably one of the most important. MRR and AR, you may hear them uh, interchangeably. MRR is the monthly re recognized revenue. ARR is the 12 month amortization of MRR. So for example, if you have a contract and somebody's paying you $1,000 a month and they signed an annual contract, the MRR in that contract will be a thousand, but the ARR would be twelve thousand. Uh, and why this is so important is because this is like that monthly value everybody's getting, everybody's gonna pay. This is that keep the lights on, consistent, and if you're continuously providing value, uh, a, a pretty strong revenue stream for you. The beauty of knowing and ideally increasing your MRR is, of course, that you'll have a good idea of how to allocate your expenses, so you know what you can reinvest in the business. You also want to know what percentage of your monthly cash flow to inject in what areas of the business versus, or in addition to, your cash reserves. Although you want to save your cash reserves only for do or die situations if possible. Things like making payroll on months where things are tight and crucial investments that have a, a high probability of driving revenue, for example. I asked Chris his thoughts. How does a company decide what percentage of monthly cash flow to allocate to what activities? For example, paying employees, reinvesting in R&D, etc. I wondered how often these things are paid for using cash reserves instead of monthly revenue. Cash flow and how you allocate it between whether it's your people, your marketing, your R&D or investment, this is a constant balance. And a lot of organizations right now is they're looking at ways of managing their cash flow, whether it's around the people, whether it's around the technology, whether it's around their marketing, whether it's around uh, their R&D, whether it's around capital spending that they're doing. This is a constant constant allocation that uh, businesses are looking at, particularly now as we're venturing into what could be a, a recession, a global recession, not just a U.S. recession. So you're starting to see a lot of businesses make sure that they're having the proper balance of their cash flow and where their dollars are going. Your MRR and available credit should be your gauge on what you have available to spend each month. And of course, the quicker you can increase MRR, the more you have to play with. But what's a good rate of growth to aim for when it comes to this metric? According to Thomas Tungus, a venture capitalist at Redpoint, an MRR growth rate of 15 to 20% is a pretty good target for post-seed or pre-series A SaaS startups to have. When it comes to ARR, annual recurring revenue, this is going to be a slower climb. Monthly numbers can fluctuate a bit, and you can use some investor cash, credit, and reserves to cover your bases and to experiment here and there. But ARR is the macro focus, and that's what will really drive your valuation, so you can't lose sight of it. 
Jason Lemkin, founder of Saster, suggests that most companies will require seven to 10 years to go from 1 million to over 100 million. So to 100X the average business, you're looking at about a decade, give or take. Okay, so how do we get there? Product, price, and people are the three primary ingredients or dials that we need to stay adamantly innovating around, both on the macro and micro. Price is the easiest and quickest lever to play around with to affect your numbers, but it's also about making terms that are attractive to your customers. I asked Chris how companies can create more favorable payment terms for their clients, but also for themselves simultaneously. Back to the cash example before, um, one of the most important cash characteristics and metrics to look at is cash burn. And basically what cash burn is saying, for every dollar that I get in, how much of that is being burned through people or investments or uh, capital, computers, how much of that dollar is being spent and where are those dollars in? Um, the best businesses are ones that have a surplus of cash, meaning that you're getting more cash in than cash coming out. Cash burn uh, deficit is where you're getting, you're spending more money than money that you're So I guess depending upon the, the, the cash that you have on your balance sheet, um, your burn rate is going to very well detail like how much of runway you have. So for example, say you have cash on your balance sheet and it's $1,200, right? And your monthly cash burn is a net negative $100. So that means if you have $1,200 and your net burn, meaning the cash that you get in versus the cash that you get out is a negative, meaning you're at a deficit and of $100, that means from a cash runway perspective, you have about 12 months of cash run, meaning your reserves based on your cash burn that you're gonna have, that $100 is gonna come down from that reserve. So uh, the best situation for a business is obviously have uh, at least at least 18 or 24 month cash reserve on their balance sheet and then also finding ways to make sure they're optimizing their cash. So, um, and that's get back to that other question I mentioned earlier about how organizations are constantly thinking about how they're allocating their dollars. The final point I wanna cover when it comes to budgeting and FP&A is around credit. The more you can get either from banks or investors, the more leverage you have. You'll have to use other people's money at some point to grow. Most, but not all companies are cash poor for the first few months or even years. So you have to be willing to take on a little debt to get your engine revving. Once you get your hands on some credit, you'll wanna use it for revenue driving activities, stuff that will create income, not for dinners, not plane rides, not pricey hotels. Think of credit like a finite well of gold that you have access to only in a defined quantity. Use credit for cash flow and nothing else if possible. I asked Chris what kinds of activities business credit should be used for and how small business can extend their lines of credit. Um, obviously, you only want to use your business credit for business related expenses. So don't go using your business credit to pay for a personal trip to Hawaii or go to Mexico or go on a trip or don't use it for personal reasons. You definitely want to make sure your business credit is used for your business. And then how can business extend a lot of business credit? Uh, so a lot of times what you see with banks is based on your spending level um, inside of your business. A lot of times what they have is like quarterly kind of check-in points to look at your available line of credit versus your spend. I think a lot of times too, it's just, you can reach out to customers. There's a, uh, a lot of times I reached out and extended my customer, my credit line by just calling the bank and saying, look, I've spent X amount of money with you over the last six months. I pay my bills on time. Uh, I want you to increase my credit, you know, by another 20, 30%. And a lot of times they see that history, they see that, you know, you have a solid cash reserve, you're not overspending, you pay on time. Uh, a lot of the same mechanisms that go for personal 
credit limit increases are applicable to business and even more even probably more advantageous because if your business is spending a lot more in terms of cash versus your personal a lot of banks are going to be incentivizing you to do business so um, i think another thing that people should be thinking about is like for business credit you definitely want to have business credit that you're not paying like a significant uh, like you know annual fee for that credit card or that business line and another advantage too is a lot like chase bank for instance they have incentives where they give points that you can redeem for travel for food for gift cards for a lot of different things so Definitely, and I mean, they also have like cashback options. There's a lot of different options that you can get for your spend. Make sure whatever credit or bank or credit union that you're using, that for that spending, you're getting points, you're getting cash back, you're getting some sort of compensation, and you're not having to pay like a five, $600 annual fee for it. So those will be my recommendations all on cash and how to make it better. And I hope this is helpful. I'm a big fan of subscription payment models, and I think they're the future of how business will be done. Whether you're a SaaS startup offering monthly memberships for seven bucks, a coach who offers monthly payment plans after one-time down payment, or even a high-end retailer who decides to innovate using net 30 terms and a six-month payback period for your $2,000 appliances, your job is to A, protect the profit margins of your company while installing systems to generate predictable revenue, but also B, to fulfill on customer needs with consistency so clients come back month after month, become more committed in the process, and enjoy favorable payment terms that make everyone involved happy. And that's what subscription businesses that are succeeding right now know. And that's why this model is going to be the model of the future without any doubt for forward-thinking brands and companies that create the best kinds of relationships and revenue growth in their businesses. This is all about value. Um, I think a lot of organizations, when you see it from software companies or even other manufacturing insurance companies, the incentive to get that cash up front, which is basically what the business wants, the best way for them to be able to do that is to offer some sort of discount. So when you see a lot of times where customers are entering into three-year contracts and they're paying for the first year all up front, they're typically expecting a five to 25% discount off of that list price, right? The reason why they're expecting that is because they're giving you all 12 months of money all up front. So they're banking on that. We're gonna get this value, but for us to get the value out of it and give you the cash, you're gonna to have to take a discount on that money. The best way I like to think about it is like the reverse of time value of money, right? So when people are thinking about money that they're putting in the stock market, money they're putting in the banks, money they're putting in the CDs or stuff, right? Like you're looking to take that $1 and grow that over time. Um, it's the counterway for, for businesses that are looking to do that. Like they're looking to say, we're giving you this dollar all right now, you need a discount you need to discount the future value of this money that we're getting to the present value. So I think the best way to think about it is most businesses, when they want to pay annual upfront, they're thinking about a future value discounted at the present value versus businesses are thinking about the present value and then extrapolating that over the future value. So it's definitely finding that balance. Sometimes a lot of customers, they don't, you know, they, they see so much of your value. They're committed. You, they, 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 they like the legacy that you have. They like the, so the software, the the service or uh, product that you're providing they may pay annual of a fund so it's really intimately understanding your customers and what brings them value and what creates value for them and making that part of the payment term consideration and negotiation
That's it for this episode. Really appreciate you tapping in. FYI, my new book, Content Capitalist, is launching end of March. I'm super excited to put this out into the world. I've been heads down the past six months writing and refining the book. If you'd like to register for updates and be added to my VIP waitlist, go to michaelbecker.org backslash content capitalist book. Can't wait to share what I've been cooking up with you guys. See you in the next episode.